0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back! Another edition of the Cooking Up Sports with Gage Bull show. So happy to be back with you guys. It's been a while. It's been, I think, over a little two we- little over two weeks. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be back and talk, talk everything with you. You know why not? We're ready. We're here. NFL draft has happened. We were all very pumped to see that, and I know it. I know. I mean, because I think, I mean, for the first time in a long time, we got a glimpse of, okay, you know what? Sports, sports are going to be back. Sports are here. It's, we're pumped, right? So I want to talk 2020 NFL draft. It was a really good one. I think it went kind of as expected. Everybody, there weren't too big, too big of surprises. We kind of knew that, the order it went in, we kind of predicted that it would go that way. But I want to talk about the best fits of the 2020 NFL draft and the worst fits of the NFL 2020 draft. You know, draft picks that it was like, okay, why did you why did you go get that guy if you know what your team's already built around? So we're going to talk about the best fits first. And the first one, believe it or not, is Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow goes number one in the draft, and they pick – Joe Burrow, of course. I mean, the Bengals really have been unable to get over the hump with Andy Dalton as their quarterback. It's been a real struggle. Andy Dalton just can't seem to climb the hill, get to that top of the hill, and put the f- and put the flag in the top. There's, there's nothing, nothing, or any signs that he was going to do that. There was no signs that he was going to do that. There was no bright future for Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. Very smart move for him for the Bengals to release him. They did release him after the draft, not before the draft. They did release him after the draft. So we kind of sat there in shock like, okay, are the Bengals really actually going to keep Andy Dalton? But once, you know, that idea was really shot down once they released him. Andy Dalton signs a one-year contract with the Dallas Cowboys. It's a $7 million deal with $3 million guaranteed. Andy Dalton, probably just gonna go there and be back up to Dak Prescott. We'll see actually what happens there with the Dak Prescott situation in Dallas. But one year year for Andy Dalton is perfect, especially if you're the Cowboys. You can just test them out, see what he can do. Because, you know, Andy Dalton is is pretty awful, but he, you know, you never know what a change of scenery might do for a player like Andy Dalton. But Really, here's what happened for Andy Dalton. I mean, last season, you got to remember, Andy Dalton's benched in favor of Ryan Finley. And really, it became abundantly clear to us that the franchise was ready to move on to someone new, clear, and they were looking forward to a new future. Okay. So they try Ryan Finley, and Ryan Finley doesn't work. So he becomes a no answer as well. So, what do they do? They align the stars and they get Mr. Joe Burrow with the first pick in the draft, who was the best college football quarterback this past season on the Heisman. To be honest, I'm not a big fan of Joe Burrow. He had one good season. We'll see how he does in the NFL. That's what I base it on. I base it on the long term. I see what he did at Ohio State. I saw what he did at LSU. He had one heck of a season I'm not going to discredit that, but Joe Burrow had one good season, so you have to take that into account when you look at a player like Joe Burrow as well. In terms of strengths and weaknesses for Mr. Joe Burrow, though, the thing about him is he's very mobile. He's a lot more mobile than a quarterback like Jared Goff. He worked, uh, Joe Burrow worked with Zach Taylor in Los Angeles recently, got that footwork going, so I think we're going to see some leg action from Joe Burrow just because of just because he is very mobile and can move. Burrow does a great job with pre-snap as well. So really Cincinnati is getting their franchise quarterback, hopefully, and hopefully we see a bright future for Cincinnati. We've only seen just awful after awful after awful season for Cincinnati. I think fans are ready to see them rise up once again. I think NFL fans are ready to see really – Honestly, the Cincinnati Bengals, once again, be in playoff talks um, because we're kind of, i to be honest, I'm kind of sick and tired of not seeing them in the playoffs. You know, I've, I have never minded the Bengals. So Joe Burrow, one of the best fits in the NFL draft. He really is going to fit well there in, C- in uh, Cincinnati, and they're ready to embrace him. Number two for me is cornerback out of Ohio State, Jeff Okuda to the Detroit Lions. Desmond Trufa and Okuda are a better cornerback ten- tandem than what Detroit had Last season, remember last season they had Darius Slay. He ends up going to Dallas as well. Darius Slay, obviously one of just the best cornerbacks ever, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't go to. Uh, yeah, he goes to the Cowboys, right? No, no. Darius Slay goes to uh, Philly. My bad. Darius Slay ends up going to Philly. For some reason, I thought he goes to the Cowboys. So Darius Slay ends up going over to Philadelphia. So what Okuda brings is he brings a lot of passion. If you watch Jeff Okuda, Jeff Okuda plays with a lot of passion. Uh, He loves this game. He's going to put his whole heart out on the field. And I've really respected that. I mean, I watched a lot of Ohio State this past season just because of Mr. Justin Fields, probably the number two prospect in next year's NFL draft. We can talk about that another time. But really, Jeff Okuda provides something for the Detroit Lions on the defensive side that they've been really lacking. While Darius Slay is really great and he provides a lot, Jeff Okuda just provides the passion that Detroit Lions fans want to see. And honestly, just what we want to see in general from the Detroit Lions. We know what Matthew Stafford has in his sleeve, we know what Jeff Okuda can do now. We, you know, they don't have a awful team. They can really put something good together over there in Detroit, and I think we could possibly see them rise up as their defensive side gets a lot better. So what really what the Lions are striving to do, okay, they're trying to almost match what the New England Patriots has over there. New England, what they have is they have a lot of depth and athleticism in their defensive backfield. Detroit, by adding Jeff Okuda really solidifies the athleticism and the depth part. They just need to match it. They need to prove that they can because look at New England's defense. It's back behind Stephon Gilmore, guys of that nature, and really we could see that in Detroit this upcoming season. (coughs) Excuse me. Next for me really is wide receiver Justin Jefferson going to the Minnesota Vikings. Because Minnesota gets gets uh rid of Stefan Diggs. They trade him this offseason. And once Stefan Diggs gets replaced, gets traded, he's out of there. Instantly, teams start to circle Adam Thielen on, on their hit list. Okay, so they're gonna start going, okay, we this is our guy. This is the guy we need to watch out for. So what do are, what are the Minnesota Vikings do? They, they bring in Justin Jefferson out of LSU. Jefferson is going to force defenses to remain honest. I mean, Jefferson primarily worked out of the slot last season, but he really shows a pretty good ability to play outside. I mean, Gary Kubiak's system will lead defenses in one direction, allowing the LSU product to work across the field, Get open and have chances to be there. His best attribute is his ability after the catch. I mean, Kubiak will give him those chances because he's quite let you know. I don't know really how to word this. I mean, he's a bull. He's gonna truck you. He reminds me a lot of Zach Moss. After after contact, I mean that kid is just going. The kid's gone, so that's what I like out of Justin Jefferson, out of LSU. LSU, man, had a phenomenal season. They won a national championship. He's a big part of it. One of Joe Burrow's main offensive weapons is Justin Jefferson, so we're going to see a lot from them. Next, for me, I really see running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the Kansas City Chiefs, a really, really great move. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the I think the one thing we all hear, I mean, as NFL fans, even as – Chiefs fans, here is that Andy Reid does not take running backs that early in the draft. And guess what? Andy Reid proves himself wrong. And guess what he takes? He takes a running back. Really, there, I mean, there's no better position to make a luxury pick than the year a team is coming off a Super Bowl victory. The best team takes a running back. I mean, this is also the best time to take a running back is when the quarterback or the rest of the team is in place. Okay, it's pretty much solidified over there in Kansas City. That starting lineup is pretty much solid. We know what we're going to see. Edwards Hilaire is a tough, well-balanced runner that will be able to take some of the pressure off Patrick Mahomes. We saw Patrick Mahomes use his legs a lot more last season. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to take a lot of that pressure off and allow Mahomes to stay in the pocket longer. And even if Mahomes needs to get out of the pocket, he still provides a lot of time for Mahomes. So I think we're going to see Mahomes not use his legs as much this season as, I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire shows us a lot, a lot of versatility. I mean, what I also like about him is. He's adept in pass protection as well as catching passes out of the backfield. I mean, with another dynamic puzzle piece to the Kansas City offense, this becomes a lot more difficult for opposing teams to defend because guess what, man? The Kansas City Chiefs just have the puzzle pieces in place for them to win now. They have a solid team. We could see another Super Bowl run for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Very smart to pick Clyde's Edward Hilaire. Next for me. Wide receiver William Pittman Jr. goes to the Indianapolis Colts. And really, this is a great move because the main receiver for Indianapolis over the couple over the last couple seasons has been T.Y. Hilton. And for some time, we imagined that the Colts were going to have to take a bigger wide receiver because T.Y. Hilton is not that big at all. He's not tall and he's not broad. And Michael Pittman Jr. provides both of those I just mentioned. He's broad and he's tall. Okay. Phillip Rivers has grown accustomed to having some larger targets when he was playing for the Chargers as well. So he provides something that Phillip Rivers is already used to. So they're definitely going to use that to their advantage. I mean, and that and that's what you want. You want Phillip Rivers to exceed, to succeed in Indianapolis. Pittman carries himself like a professional and will attack his new challenges as if he just went undrafted. This kid's going to act like he went undrafted. He went too low in the draft, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to prove us all wrong, and I like that. I love that he has that kind of mentality and that he wants to do that. His attention to detail with releases and route running will allow him to find success. Early over there in Indianapolis in the pairing with one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and Phillip Rivers does help every second and every bit of your career. Use Phillip Rivers. Use, use, use him. Final one for me is tight Adam Adam Dropman to the New Orleans Saints. Actually, I have one more after this. Here's the thing, okay? Last season, the New Orleans Saints have Jared Cook at the tight end position, and he did a great job, and so the Saints decided to bring him back. He's 33 years old. He's kind of getting up there in age, but he's still proven to us that he can play. He has... The thing for the Saints regarding Jared Cook is there's no really long-term outlook on this kid. There's no there's no long-term on him. Let's be real. There's no long-term solution for him. I mean, he's he's just up there in age, and that's, that's what hurts him. So really, what he's going to have to do, Trotman's going to have to learn from Jared Cook One of really... I think one of the most underrated tight ends in the leagues is he's proved to us what he can do. But the uh, the other thing that Cook provides for Trotman, I mean, Trotman's now going to learn at his own pace because of Jared Cook because I don't think they throw Adam Trotman in at that starting position. That belongs to Jared Cook this season unless injury plagues him. Then we see Adam Trotman come in. But I think he's going to be able to learn at his own pace, develop this season, and the next season we could see an absolute monster. Last one for me, best fit tight end Cole Komet goes over there to the Chicago Bears. This is what Chicago needs. They need offense, offense, offense. I was glad that the Bears decided to draft some defense because Prince of Mucamara doesn't return. So they draft two cornerbacks, the first one being Jalen Johnson. I bet Jalen Johnson starts at that cornerback position. That's the smart decision to make if you're the Chicago Bears. Then they draft a net, another cornerback later in the draft. But really, Chicago, man, with Cole Komet, the only problem with the Bears, I mean, they have nine registered tight ends on the roster, and they also signed Jimmy Graham in the offseason. So who knows if they're actually going to even start Cole Komet at tight end this season. We could possibly see Jimmy Graham starting there. I don't know what the Bears are going to do. I thought it was good, though, because here's the thing. Cole Komet is a young, fresh, new mind. He can play he plays very well. I mean, he has a big heart. Uh, I love his pat, his catching ability, not his passing ability. His catching ability. He's one of those guys that will catch, turn, and just run. He'll truck you over. He's looking to get to the end zone. The end zone is his final goal. He's not going to stop. He's got a motor. His only pause, his only negative is blocking. The kid cannot really block. He's got, he's got really big issues there. But he said he's going to work on that, develop a bigger skill. When it comes to blocking. So I really like that move as well. Okay. Worst fits of the 2020 NFL draft. First one might surprise you for me. It's Henry Ruggs, the third to the Las Vegas Raiders. Because here's the thing Henry Ruggs is just one of those special talents in the NFL draft that the wide receiver position that we just don't see a whole lot of, but the kind of talent we talk a lot about. Why is it a bad move, you say? Well, because he's paired with a quarterback and Derek Carr that does not have the arm strength to find this kid, Henry Ruggs is wickedly fast. This kid can run. I mean, he has the jets. He turns them on all the time. But Derek Carr does not have that strong of an arm to really hit him. So really, Henry Ruggs, his ability and his talent could really be negated over there in Las Vegas. We could see a very awful rookie season for Henry Ruggs just because of the quarterback that he is paired with. Maybe Marcus Mariota comes in and throws to him because Marcus Mariota has a much better arm than Derek Carr, but I don't see that happening because really the problems associated with the Las Vegas Raiders, it's not associated with Mr. Derek Carr. It's associated with other things such as defense and the offensive weapons for Derek Carr adding Henry Ruggs does help but the kid is a deep route runner and guess what Derek Carr is not a deep route thrower so there's going to be there's going to be some problems there so really the question to ask the Raiders at this point is how are you going to utilize fully utilize Ruggs's talents this upcoming season what are you going to do to make sure he's getting his touches What are you going to make, really, what are you as an organization going to do so you don't see this kid's talent slip down the crapper? All right? Seriously. Seriously. Second worst for me, running back Anthony McFarland over there to the Pittsburgh Steelers because guess what? The AFC North is one of the most physical divisions in the National Football League. And guess what? The Steelers are a part of that physicality. I mean, their offensive line is built more as a tough-nosed run-blocking team. McFarland is a one-cut back, and then he is off to the races. His straight-line speed is his best straight. You see this kid get to the outside, and it is sloppy. It's awful. I don't even want to talk about it. And the other thing... He cannot run between tackles. That is not his forte at all. He is awful at that. He cannot do it. Can he learn? Yes. But right now at this point in his career, he does not have that ability. So really, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Pittsburgh plans to utilize this kid in the lineup. How are they? Because they're like, crap, dude. After this draft, I mean, I think as a Pittsburgh Steelers organization, you need to sit back and go, holy crap. We just drafted a kid that all he can do is run in a straight line. When he runs to the outside, okay, it's not the best. He's very, very awful there. Running straight, oh, great, he's fine. Can he run between a tackle? No, so we're going to have to create wide, wide open spaces for this kid to run through. And guess what? That's not going to (coughs) happen. That's not going to happen even 50% of the time. So, really, to me, that is a bad pick. That is awful. Next to me, uh, cornerback Noah <coughs> Igben-Goni. I can't really say his last name. Sorry, I totally butchered that to the Miami Dolphins. It really seems very apparent to me that the Patriot weighs in play with another AFC East team as they build depth in the secondary. Okay? I talked about... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. My goodness. I talked about how... I don't even know who I was talking about. Who, who the crap am I even talking about? There for a second. I'm so sorry. My mind just went totally blank. Uh, the Lions. Okay? The Lions are the other team trying to build... Just like the Patriots. And then we have a team of the Miami Dolphins trying to build on that secondary. In the offseason, they get Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. And guess what? They are two of the highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. Because they are two of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. You get paid when you're that good. So for me, it makes no logical sense for Miami a team with several other needs, especially offensively, to use a first-round selection on another cornerback. Like, what is the logic in that? Yeah, yeah. Now I understand that Miami had plenty of first-round picks, but what are you doing driving a quarterback when you have two of the best in the game? Really, I mean, I guess you could ask: uh, Are they going to move somebody to safety? Is Howard going to eventually become a salary cap casualty? I mean, there's so many questions surrounding the situation that I think it's just an absolute mess. And it's going to continue to be an absolute mess for the Miami Dolphins. That was awful. Drafting another quarterback. It makes no sense to me. It's kind of like the Bears situation. What are you doing drafting two cornerbacks when you already have plenty? Right? Okay. Next for me. Tight end Dalton King, drafted by the New England Patriots. There is no issue. For me, there was no issue with the Patriots using an early pick on tight end Devin Asiasi. Sorry, I am so bad with last names. I mean, Devin's a great player. There's no doubt about that. But to double down with Dalton King who's going to require a much more specific, less explosive role, was a very, very mind-boggling thing. I sat there and I thought, what are they doing? Why would you double down on the tight end situation with a kid who's not really that overall that great? But I mean, I guess them drafting Dalton King really suggests the idea that the New England Patriots are going to become a much more run-heavy team next season because they don't really have a quarterback as bill belichick calls them stids is not that great of a thrower so is bill belichick going to go holy crap i can't stick can't stick to the pass game it's going to probably be a run game i don't know what is, what is he going to do what is he going to do and lastly the worst 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 is kashan Vaughn running back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, here's the thing, folks. In an ideal and perfect world, Tampa Bay would have landed a more consistent, better pass-protecting runner back to pair with Tom Brady, who, at this point in his career, needs somebody like that. Keyshawn Vaughn, very explosive player. Great player, right? He's not awful. He can contribute to Tom Brady as a pass catcher, but guess what, folks? Realistically, it's just not an ideal fit. I mean, it's really hard to chastise the Buccaneers too much, considering the best two options, DeAndre Swift and Edwards Hilaire, were already off the board. So I'm not going to really slam them too hard. But really, idealistically and realistically, it was not the best fit for the New England, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at all. Sorry, I said New England just because we were talking about Tom Brady for just a second. Well that that will be an interesting situation in Tampa Bay. They also sign uh they get Rob Gronkowski from a trade with the New England Patriots. Gosh. Their their chances to make the playoffs, their chances to make the Super Bowl just went up so much more when they signed Gronk. Next, to close off the hour, we're going to talk about Mr. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill signs a 2-year, 21 million dollar extension with the New Orleans Saints to make him stay at NOLA. Guess what, folks? They also signed Jameis Winston to a one-year deal. I think it was worth about a million dollars. Folks, I believe that, really in all honesty, Taysom Hill wins the backup job for the New Orleans Saints this year. The thing about Taysom Hill, though, is, and he said this, he's going to have to cut back on the special teams and tight end roles, stuff like that. He's going to have to focus a lot more attention on the quarterback position if he wants to win this backup position. We've seen the videos. Jameis Winston is putting in a lot of work this offseason because he wants to show people, and he wants to show the NFL, he wants to show other teams that, guess what? I still have it, and I can still play this lovely game called football. And I have it in me. I don't want to be as I don't want to be a backup quarterback. I'll be a backup quarterback for right now. But when I show you my potential and show you what I have left in this gas stick, you're going to regret not picking me up. But in all honesty, I, I, I see Taysom Hill winning the job just because I believe Taysom Hill has a lot more potential. Taysom Hill, we saw him last season, his best game arguably arguably coming against uh, the Minnesota Vikings last season. Last season, so, I mean, look at his line from the, from the Vikings game, all right? They play, him, they play the Vikings in the wild card. They lost that game, unfortunately. But, I mean, that day, he completes a career-long 50-yard pass that eventually leads to a touchdown. That's one of those swing moments in the game I was talking about, one of those game-changing moments. He had four carries for 50 yards, and he caught two passes for 25 yards. And he also had that 20-yard touchdown early in the fourth quarter, so... Best game of his career, and he shows out, and Saints fans become more accustomed to this kid, and they're like, holy crap, we really like this guy. We really like this guy. So let's keep him. Let's bring him back. Let's see what he does. Really, I mean, honestly, I mean, last season, he has a really weird and unusual career stat line for a quote-unquote quarterback. Because, I mean, last season, you look at his statistics, He's thr- I mean, actually, just look at his whole career stat line. Okay, in his whole career. Whole career as a quarterback in the NFL. 13 career pass attempts during the regular season. He completes six for 119 passing yards. He's rushed for 352 yards and three touchdowns on 64 carries. Uh, last year, he becomes a kind of a tight end and a flex option for the Saints. So what does he do? He catches 19 passes for 234 yards and six touchdowns. He has 12 career special teams tackles, and guess what? He's also blocked the punt. So really, he's going to have to cut back on all that stuff. He's not going to be as big as a flex option for the Saints this upcoming season because really – you got to devote your time to becoming that quarterback that you say you can be and the quarterback that you want to be because, really, when it's all said and done, I think Taysom Hill takes the job after Drew Brees leaves. And Saints fans, he's not going to disappoint. He's going to show you and he's going to lead you to the playoffs. He could potentially lead you to the Super Bowl. you just got to give him some time. So Taysom Hill gets paid. He's also a former BYU quarterback from down here in Provo, Utah. Where he was phenomenal, but really now he's in a position to just prove that everybody, regardless of where you're drafted or where you you first start your career, you always have a potential to be one of the best, and you always have a potential to play in the NFL. When we come back, I talk about BYU getting grad transfer Matt Harms from Purdue University. Why Mark Pope is becoming one of the best. Recruiters in college basketball. And we talk about Coach Whittingham at all coming up next. Second like hour starting now. I'd like to first start off by addressing the Aaron Rodgers situation. And I'd like to address the Aaron Rodgers situation by starting off with this. You know, we know the Brett Favre, Aaron Aaron Rodgers drama that is currently happening right now. But in all honesty, I mean, Brett Favre is coming out and acknowledging that Aaron isn't happy because guess what? I talked to him and he's not happy about this. But Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report, He covers mainly the NFL, recently said, according to an AFC coach, Green Bay drafted Utah State quarterback Jordan Love in the first round to send Aaron Rodgers the message, quote, rerun this, not you, unquote. And the very surprising thing about this, quote, is numerous coaches and executives around the NFL agree with this statement made by Mike Freeman. To me, that is so astounding and different that most of the coaches and executives can finally agree on something about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it really feels like Green Bay is compensating for something. I mean, does New Orleans feel the need to tell Drew Brees, look, man, we run this place, not you. These are our premises. This isn't your team. This is ours. No. Instead, they empower him. Are the Buccaneers going to go to Tom Brady and say, Tom, we run this joint. This ain't yours. This is ours. No, 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 no. They empower Tom Brady instead. I mean, for me, it's quite a weird message. Take for example Ben Roethlisberger and all that drama. The Steelers were like, "Oh no 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 no." We support Big Ben a hundred thousand percent, no matter what. He has our full support. Then I think about the example of the Seattle Seahawks, who were who traded guys unanimously, who castigated Russell Wilson. They said, "You know what? You're done. You're out. You're done." Goodbye. Then I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This NFL draft, they drafted guys they believed that Tom Brady wanted surrounding him. So, why would Green Bay need to push back on Aaron Rodgers? And to be honest, I think of it in this way. All right. Take this analogy think of an elementary school principal. When does an elementary school principal need to reestablish who is in charge of the place? It's when they receive pushback, like when rules or guidelines are simply broken. Okay, kid gets a ball over the fence. They're told not to. Rule is broken. Teacher says, hey, please do not swear in the halls. Kid swears in the halls. Guideline rules broken. Okay, so what what happens is this principal, or we could even say teacher in this situation, with that little bit of friction, with the kids in trouble, needs to reestablish who's running this place and keeps this place in order. I even think of it in the example of a parent. Okay, for parents listening out there, say you have a teenager who breaks their curfew. And you are receiving pushback and lashback on this rule. Or your kids, you tell them, okay, you got to do the dishes. They don't do the dishes for three days. That is when you need to reestablish who's in charge, who's paying the bills, who's putting food in your mouth, who's doing this. That is when something needs to be reestablished. Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback who quite simply invents his ways out of plays. We've seen it plenty of times. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, simply put, does not listen to coaching. Not even one bit. Aaron Rodgers is his own independent man. I think about two seasons ago, Mike McCarthy is the head coach back then. He's creating plays for Aaron Rodgers. He's creating these Offensive schemes that he thinks are going to be successful for Aaron Rodgers. So what happens is Aaron Rodgers doesn't like him and he ad-libs himself out of him. So what do we do? We then start to notice a significant increase in throwaways from Aaron Rodgers. He was leading the NFL in throwaways. He was sending the message to the Green Bay Packers coaching staff and front office, I freaking hate your play. Don't design any more for me. That is the signal he was sending to them. So what does he do after sending that signal? He throws the ball out of bounds. Rodgers created this. Rodgers is the one pushing back. Rodgers is the one who's uncoachable. Rodgers is the one leading the league in throwaways. Rodgers is the one ad-libbing himself out of plays. So what does Matt LaFleur do once he gets him? He gets Aaron Rodgers, and he's saying to himself, we got open passes in our offense, and Aaron isn't making them. Aaron's not making the passes that we have designed. There are open guys there. He can make them because he's got the talent, but he's choosing not to because he's his own independent man. He's his own independent player. So once again, we ask ourselves, why does Green Bay need to reestablish the premises? Because Patrick Mahomes doesn't invent his way out of plays because Andy Reid would simply bench him. Drew Brees over there in New Orleans, if Drew Brees was inventing his way out of plays Sean Payton would say, that's it, you're done. Hit the bench. Jameis, get out there. Once again, Rodgers does. The ad-libbing, the inventing. He gets himself out of place he does not want to participate in. Rodgers is not the victim here. He is the aggressor. No other teams in the NFL need to reestablish the premise is but Green Bay. This is why Green Bay drafted Jordan Love, because this is their offense and this is their team. They also believe that Jordan Love is the quarterback of the future and he will give in to the offensive schemes and he will give in to the idea of team. That are my those are my thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers situation. Okay, I said we'd talk about Mark Pope and BYU. Mark Pope, dude, this guy is, is absolutely destroying the recruiting game in NCAA basketball. BYU just absolutely made themselves a th- huge threat. They're going to be a threat this 2020-2021 NCAA college basketball season. If you didn't know, Matt Harms, grad transfer from Purdue University, decides he wants to come play basketball for Mark Pope. He had narrowed it down to three programs: John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats, Arizona, and the BYU Cougars. In all honesty. Have you ever, 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 ever in your entire life heard someone say to John Calipari, hey, uh, I don't want to come play with your play for your program because I want to go play in Provo, Utah, where 80% of the fans are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And yeah, I just I just feel right there. No one is saying this. I don't think anyone has ever said that to John Calipari, Other than Matt Harms, this is this is going to be a great, 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 great season because really BYU is just putting themselves as a huge threat. I mean, the number one impact player in terms of the fifth year transfer is going to be the big guy. He's seven foot three inches. Harms is. Like I said, he's turning down offers from Kentucky, Texas Tech, Arizona, Gonzaga. And he decides, you know what? I want to go play for BYU. He's breaking the hearts of the Kentucky fan base. He's breaking the hearts of the Gonzaga fans. This is insane. This is a huge... Huge pickup for BYU because really Matt Harms is one of those guys we dream about. He has the size. He has the athletic ability. He has the versatility. And really, he has the skill set and the potential to emerge as one of the premier bigs in college basketball. Last season at Purdue, he was not having it offensively, really, but he was having it defensively. I mean, he was averaging about two blocks a game. 8.6 points last year from 4.6 rebounds, 0.9 assists. This is (laughs) – and here's the other thing about him. He's not a typical BYU transfer or your typical I'm looking into BYU as one of my options. He's not, I mean, he's, I can't even remember where he's from now. Uh, He's from like the Netherlands or something like that. Uh, Sorry, no, he's not from the Netherlands. Uh, Yeah, he's from the Netherlands. Here he is. He's from the Netherlands. He's 7'3". We don't know if he's related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He didn't play basketball for Fremont High School. He wasn't Mr. Utah Basketball. He wasn't the 6A Player of the Year. That He wasn't any of that. <coughs> Excuse me. This is just giving BYU a whole new identity. Because now they've opened it up. They've opened it up. I mean, BYU also got uh, Spencer Johnson from Slick College. Uh, for those who don't know, that is... Salt Lake Community College. I mean, he was making the Bruins a top four team in the nation. I mean, really, uh, they got Jesse Wade from Gonzaga. I mean, what what else is there for them to do? Oh, they also got the kid out of uh, New Mexico, uh, Gideon George. Mark Pope is choosing to own the recruiting process. He is making BYU very appeasing. He's making him look appealable. He said, "Okay, hey, look." And here is where I love Mark Pope. Mark Pope believes that they have the pieces to win. Now, he believes that they can win a national championship with the players he has there, and he's been able to sell this message to these guys who have hit the portal those guys who are interested in BYU he's been able to sell this message that you know what you're not going to have to wait 4 years for us to be in the tournament you're not going to have to wait 4 years for us to be title contenders no we have the pieces now we can win now and guess what you're just you're just another piece of this puzzle for us and this step and this process to winning. Wow. This, this is going to be crazy. I mean, 2020, 2020 to 2021 season, th- this is going to be great. I mean, they're great. They're uh, huge games come against these. I mean, their non-conference schedule is they play Utah Provo, then they play Arizona State, and they actually are going to go play in the Junkanoo Jam in the Bahamas, which is really exciting for BYU. So the message here is watch out for Mark Pope, man. He BYU basketball will be on the rise. Mark Pope, not saying that coach Rose did not do a good job recruiting wise, but Mark Pope is turning this program into a now into a winning now program. Not you're going to have to wait till you're a junior here for us to contend. It's, Guess what? We have the pieces now. We can contend now. Next, we're going to talk about another coach here in Utah. We're going to talk Coach Whittingham and the kind of, I don't know how you'd call it, uh, I would say the magnificent job done down there in Salt Lake City, Utah, with the Utah Youth football program. He is really, I mean, he's hand-feeding NFL coaches, NFL prospects. For me I think of a guy and Julian Blackman grows up in my hometown of Layton Utah plays at Layton High School for the Lancers coming out of high school he is not this very desirable prospect nobody's really looking into him and he decides to go play football for the University of Utah he was also a very stellar basketball player and he was an even more phenomenal track and field player as well. So he heads over to the University of Utah. Everyone's saying, "Okay, this kid can't defend. He can't stick with the best receiver. He can't do anything." And what does he? What does he do? He proves us all wrong. He's in the NFL now. Indianapolis Colts pick him up. <coughs> Oh, excuse me. He he goes to the NFL. I mean, Zach Moss goes to the Buffalo Bills. Tyler Huntley signed by the Ravens. Jalen Johnson to the Chicago Bears. Bradley and I to the Cowboys. There are so many up. There's so much, and Kyle Whittingham is just making this program. You know how I talked about Mark Pope's making BYU desirable. Kyle Whittingham is making kids circle Utah on their offer list There's because kids are saying, holy crap. I mean, look at how many guys going to the NFL from the youth. Fifth most in the nation, first in the Pac-12. You don't think kids, high school recruits, kids who get offers from the University of Utah kids who are hit at the transfer portal don't notice that you're dead wrong man they're for sure looking at that and i think coach whittingham is doing a phenomenal job him and his coaching staff you come down there you play for morgan scally you play for kyle whittingham you play for andy ludwig these guys are going to turn you NFL ready prospects, and they want you to be an NFL prospect. They feel they have that des- that same desire that you have. and it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. That's it for me today, folks. I appreciate you guys listening. Hope you all have a great day. If you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram at Cooking up Gage with gage bowls twenty seven. We had to change the Instagram name due to some other reasons, but until next time, guys, I love y'all.